Episode 92, Hey Love Podcast. When I'm told I have cancer, and in that moment, I immediately thought of that quiet time, and I said, okay, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so all these people were like, you're the most amazing. How do you believe? And I'm like, no, no, no. This is just my chance. Welcome to Hey Love, engaging you, the reflective woman, in soul care, spirituality, and social spaces through the grid of God's grace. Here, it's all about relationships. Hey, love. That voice you just heard belongs to my sweet friend, Callan Cridell, whose story of healing is absolutely redemptive and lovely. I'm your host, Carthy Masters, and I've known our guest and her mom for about 10-ish years. And you will see what makes their mother-daughter relationship a very special one. Callan's going to talk about that long before Callan was ever diagnosed. Incidentally, she's feeling a lot better these days, and she's actually working full-time now at a marketing agency and loving every second of it. She just told me her mom, Cindy, recently threw her an anniversary party because Callan has been cancer-free for a whole year, and friends from all over came to celebrate. Cindy and I were at their house praying one day for different things that were going on in their family, and I had the pleasure of meeting Callan for the first time. I feel like we had an instant connection, and even then I knew this is a marked woman. Well, then she was a teenager with insight and wisdom way beyond her years. So this episode is going to speak to you if you're a parent or a daughter or if you've suffered with any kind of illness or weakness or limp, as we like to say around here. You're going to get to hear more from Callan in just a minute. But first, I got to tell you, I received a couple of comments last week about the episode 91 that made me laugh out loud. The title of last week's episode was Brown People Do Hospitality Better. And if you haven't heard that yet, go back and listen to episode 91 when you get a chance. One friend in particular shared something about the episode with our um, little empty nest group. I'm part of an empty nesters group every week. And so the other night, one of my friends there made a funny remark about my last episode title. So we were all laughing at my calling myself and my people Browns. And then my friend Julie, whose last name is actually Brown, she told us about the time that her son had a birthday book dedication at school many moons ago. Julie and I have been friends for a long, long time as our kids all went to the same elementary school here in Franklin. You've heard me talk about it, New Hope Academy. We would hang out at the games together and devotions and help each other with carpool. Julie has four boys, and she's a beautiful soul. And I've been trying to get her to come on here for years. So if you know Julie Brown, please call her, bug her and tell her to come do an interview. One of the main missions of New Hope Academy is to provide Christ-centered education for the underserved in our community. So I think it's like 50% of the students there are on some kind of scholarship. So diversity is a big deal there. And it's really sweet because the kids don't know. Like they never knew which of their classmates live in the projects or which of them live in a gated community with eight pools. They didn't know, and they didn't care. They were all friends, 
and their parents too. It was such a sweet picture of the kingdom. So the other night, Julie, whose kids went to the school, is telling us about the time when her son's birthday book celebration came around. The teacher asked him to come up to the front, as they always did, to pronounce a blessing over him for his birthday. But before she did that, the teacher thought it'd be fun to recognize all his brothers. So she asked them to stand up too. She looks out into the audience. This is in the middle of the school-wide assembly and says, I want all the brown boys to stand up. And about half the student body jumped to their feet. (laughs) Oh, I cannot think about this scene without laughing. I'm sure my son had to have been one of the brown boys who stood up. I need to ask him that. Okay, that has absolutely nothing to do with today's episode, but I had to share that with you. Isn't it so cute? So, love, can I just tell you about Cal and Cridell? We have an incredible conversation. This has to be one of my favorites ever. We talk about the importance of community, of family, of feelings. Although, I gotta say, Chip Dodd may not agree with what she says about there only being one positive feeling on his feelings list. (laughs) Callan also touches on how God can channel certain hard personality traits for good, for His glory and for our good. We also talk about faith, and obedience to God, and trusting in God's goodness, even when you don't know where He's leading you. And it's pretty cute how she talks about the downfalls of having a phone plugged into the wall. When I was her age, that was the only option we had. As we're talking, you're going to hear birds singing their song of hope all through our conversation, and it's so perfectly appropriate. Here's Callan. Yeah, so I actually started my treatment at Vanderbilt in the middle of the night. We had I'd been in Birmingham and they basically had said if you can get to Nashville by tonight, you can be admitted. There's a bed for you. And they're always full, like you have to wait for a bed. Oh yes. So like there were some days I would have chemo scheduled, but I would spend a day waiting on a bed. And then we might have to push it a couple of days if a bed wasn't available, which I didn't know all that when I was in Birmingham, which is when I, I was there for school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got diagnosed. And so I they basically said, you've got to get there now. And so one friend pulled up my car. One friend packed a bag. One friend bought us food. Mom and I packed up the car. I mean, we just, we all rallied and drove in. And so we got in at the middle of the night. All that mm. to say, when I finished my chemo, they said, you can stay until the morning and we can leave you. Or... You can leave right now. And I was like, get me out of here. Because I, at that point, had been there for seven days because each chemo lasted between six and seven days. Um, So I was, and I was hooked up to an IV the whole time. So I was just, it was like being plugged in. Imagine like charging your phone in the wall, but then trying to walk to the kitchen while holding your phone. Like you can't do a lot. I had this IV and I had to unplug it and replug it. And so I left and I was with my family and it was weird. We just, the bag finished. They pulled my pick line out. And we walked out and it was like, there was no celebration as far Mm. as other people, but like with our family, it was really sweet. Just the four of you. Just the four of us. And we, we all cried and rejoiced and Mm. it was like, yeah, the silent entering and leaving. I don't know. Both in the middle of the night and the quiet. Mm -hmm. The lights were off because after I think 11 o'clock at night, the lights dimmed down in the hallways Mm -hmm. and so all the lights were down. And it was just kind of like this 
Very Sweet. interesting mm -hmm. beginning and end, which it's, it's kind of funny how it was mirrored, I guess. Yeah. I thought it was very symbolic. And you have a really close family. I do. I adore my family. And I, it's funny because right before I got sick, I was a senior in college at Samford in Alabama and had my own apartment, had been on my own for a full year, essentially worked my little booty off during the summer, paid for everything but insurance. Like I was just so determined to be independent. It's not that my parents aren't there for me. I just was like, I can do this. I'm ready. And so right before I got sick, I felt like God was saying, you need to move to Nashville. Wow. But I had a job offer in Birmingham. And I didn't understand because I was like, I have a good job offer with this place I love. Like, so I have a place to live, a place to work, and I don't think I'm supposed to be here. Huh. And mm. I said, I can't explain to you why, but I don't feel like I'm supposed to be here. Whoa. And he was like, he, they were a Christian um, place. And so that he just said, okay, then the job offer is not here for you. Like, you need to be where God's putting you. Actually, God, what he said, amazing. which this stuck with me because it's kind of creepy creepy sounding but he said you never know why god is calling you back home he said something bad might be about to happen and you need to be with the people who love you most wow and i was like huh because like this is a job like a it was a very formal conversation mm. and then i left and creepy is not the right word it was just the odd enough thing that i still remember the exact sentence prophetic a year later yes yeah and then two days later i went to the, the hospital you know everything kind of Amazing. spun out but going back to my family, I t told my mom, I'm never living at home again. <laughs> I just, I can't do it. I love y'all, but I'm never living at home again. Mm. Because, and she agreed. All, my parents were like, we agree. That's the best for our family would be different living situations and then being with each other. Like for short spurts. Just for like visiting and dinner and vacations. But like, mm -hmm. we agree. You're, because my brother's 14. So they're like, we're parenting him. And like the dynamics changed after four years of college. Sure. So we all agreed. And then when I got sick and moved back home, mm. I spent a good couple weeks at least angry. Of mm. course. I mean, I was angry at everything. But I was especially angry that my parents had to take care of me again. Because oh. I was like, I am 22 and I was finally on my own. Independent. Like I was starting to launch. And then now I'm home and I'm sick and I'm oh. in bed. To the point where like my parents are tucking me in every night and like bringing me water. That was the Real. the level of, I mean, driving me around. Like, I got to the point where if I wanted to go to Target, my dad would drive me to Target because I would get too sick driving. Oh, wow. And it was so humbling. And I read this blog and the girl said, you're probably resenting the fact that you're being shoved into this place you don't want to be. She said, the best advice I can give you is let your dad bring you coffee. Let your mom give you back rubs because wow. you'll never get this time back. Mm. And the, for some reason, when I read it, I said, hmm, or not I said, I thought to myself, wow, that's true. No of my, none of my friends are going to get this. And so Aww. I embraced it and I snuggled with my mom and with my dad. And like they, I, that every night so I was like, sweet. mommy, rub my back again. And <laughs> dad, I would milk him. Like when I was a five-year-old girl, like, can you bring me more water? Can, like, can you do this? And. Oh, and it became adorable. like the sweetest. I'm still home, and we're like, this actually is not a bad setup. It's been, I just embraced it. That's great. Like this girl's blog. So it probably felt like that girl who wrote the blog was reading your mail. Like, did she yes. even know your specific? Oh no, she was like some New York Times or like some she, a blog someone had sent me. I think it was in the New York Times or some amazing. Not a Christian or even. Real, 
she didn't know me, nothing. It was just a, a girl's encouragement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that changed it all. So, And you did get to graduate. I did get to graduate. So I, when I got sick, it was three and a half weeks before graduation. Basically, had had some symptoms for a few weeks mm. and then went to the doctor for the first time on a Sunday, two weeks into these symptoms, chest pain, back pain, um... By that Wednesday, they said, you have two tumors in your body. And within a week of that, I was in Nashville finishing chemo. And you were telling me that if you hadn't experienced the secondary one in your back, you probably would have waited even longer. Yes. Like when I was little, I would want a Band-Aid for like a scratch or a hint of a scratch or... And surgery. Yes, surgery. Like I would just be (laughs) so dramatic. And so I've always been paranoid that I'm being dramatic about pain. So I was just determined to wait it out, and um, it was just not the kind you wait out. It was the Mm -hmm. kind that gets worse every moment. Thank God. It was like a mercy tumor almost. Yes. Well, and the amount of doors that God opened in the span of like two days to get me from urgent care to a cardiologist to the emergency room to the cardiologist at the emergency room like whisked me back. We skipped like the four-hour red tape. Wow. To like run these tests because they thought I just had a fluid around my heart and some infection. But later, all these things revealed that it was this massive tumor pressing on everything. Ooh. But it took a good, I guess, from Sunday night to Wednesday morning, it took that amount of time to get to the bottom. Mm -hmm. Because everyone, you know, you don't think young, healthy, 22, no problems ever before. Oh, yeah, you've got cancer. Like, you don't don't go there. Mm. Was the cardiologist the one who found the actual cancer? Yes. He, because urgent care, apparently an x-ray can be very distorted Hmm. depending on how you stand. And so he was skeptical at first because he said, I wonder if you might have just been standing in the wrong position. Like, this just doesn't add up. Hmm. But basically, um, a CT scan exposes you to radiation. And he said, I don't want to do that for no reason. So let's just do the x-ray, try this medicine, and come back tomorrow. You should feel better. I didn't sleep at all that night. Mm. Sobbed. My mom came up, stayed with me. We went the next day, and I said, I'm so sorry, sir, but this is so much worse than even yesterday. Something's wrong. Really? And I was like, and none of this is even applying to the back pain, and that's what's the worst. And he just was like, okay. He said, I want to do a CT scan. And thank the Lord. Then that night we left and mom was like, we got Mexican food. It was a Tuesday night. We got cookies and we were just like, she was like, thank you, Jesus. My baby girl is okay. And I just had this feeling. She was like, why aren't you happy? And I said, mom, Mm. I just, I'm sorry. I don't feel good about this. Like, I don't think it's over. And then about 30 minutes later, we were getting the medicine and he called me. And that was the first time he used the word lymphoma. He said, I looked at your x-ray. You definitely have a widened mediastinum, chest cavity, evidence of a tumor, basically. He said, first thing in the morning, we need you inside, or like come, to come to the ER. Wow. We're doing a CT scan and a biopsy. He's like, I would just prepare yourselves that it's probably lymphoma. Um, and no. I'm like eating my chocolate chip cookie. I'm like, what? Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh. I was just not, it was out of nowhere. So my dad, he's like, I... Should I drive up? Should I not? And I was like, you know what? It's fine. I'm sure it's nothing. But then the next morning I called him and I just said, Dad, 
I need you here. Mm. And he drove up. And actually, when they walked in to tell me, like 30 seconds later, he got to the hospital and was there. So it was really just great timing because he was there. And Oh, thank goodness. Anyways, yeah. I don't even remember what the question was. <laughs> no, you, we, we kind of circled, but um, I wanted to go back to, even before you got sick, Helen, what would you say like really nurtured the closeness in your family? Mm-hmm. Like even as you were growing up. My mom, she read this book. It's called Voice of the Heart. Oh, yeah. And it's, it basically talks about how there's always these underlying feelings and things that then control your actions or your child's actions. And I just remember after she read that book, something about our relationship changed Mm. because when I was being mean or sassy or disrespectful, she swallowed it and she looked, I mean, she would say, that's not okay. You need to respect me, obviously. But then she would say, what are you feeling? Wow. And nine times out of 10, I wasn't being this heartless, evil child who hated my mom. I was worried about my test. I felt ugly that day. I, Mm. you know, was feeling anxious or fear or lonely or something. And it was causing me to react in this sideways way. Mm -hmm. And so it became kind of the standard in our house. A new question has been, okay, what are you feeling? Hmm. We go straight to like more times than not, even now as an adult living at home, when something happens, even when I have a spat with anybody, what are you feeling? This morning I did it with the kid I nanny. What are you feeling? That's amazing. I'm feeling really scared. I'm like, okay, good. And a little kid can articulate that? Yes. But so when you identify what you're feeling, you can address the behavior later, but you can't really solve anything until you know what it's coming from. Wow. And that really changed for us because when you talk about your feelings, that's vulnerable. But when Mm -hmm. you create a safe place to experience the emotions that God created us to experience and share them... I don't know, that just creates an avenue for closeness and for growth. And I think for parents with kids, being a kid, like you experience so many things and to have someone who's just there. Mm. My parents are really good at just being there. Um, I think that's one of their strengths. Like physically and emotionally. emotionally, physically, available. Um, That's powerful They're not perfect, but they're there. And I think that's a gift. But they also just... More times than not. I mean, again, not perfect, but they let me just be mm-hmm. too. It's such an amazing thing how how often people mention that particular book, Chip Dodd's book, and, and how that's changed their relationships. I haven't even read it, but I'm like, I need to. because. But I've just kind of taken the tools I've been learning in the family, even nannying with small children wow. under the age of like 10 or 12. It really changes just... The whole and like, okay, you were you just kicked me in the shin, but I don't think you meant that. What do you what anger? What are you feeling? I'm really angry. Why? She pulled my hair. Mm. Okay, good. You felt angry about that. How can we act differently now? That is amazing. Like it's such a game changer. So oh. instead of jumping to now, go sit in timeout, you know, or yeah, or like shut down, don't cry, or right, because it's always sideways, like. It's just, that it's very powerful. interesting. So I think that fundamentally changed our family dynamic. And my parents think that mm. just gave them a great tool book. Mm-hmm. But like we used to do highs and lows at the dinner table. I kid you not, we do feelings. We go around. <laughs> this is especially started in the past year, but we say, what were three feelings you felt today? Wow. And it is so deep. We like, well, 
today I felt joy or gladness, but that's really the one positive. The rest of the feelings on the feeling chart are not quote unquote positive. Hmm. So it's like, well, today I felt shame and today I felt anger and I felt lonely. And it just like sets the tone for, so good. I guess, normalizing that we all experience that and mm-hmm. you feel kind of like you're in counseling, but it's become very normal. So when guests are over, I'm like, don't do feelings. Better. Like it's not everyone else thinks this is normal. <laughs> feelings high and low. Yeah. I it's love interesting. it. What a life skill. It Huge. affects everything in life. Yeah. EQ. Yeah. Mm. We're learning about it as a family, but I think we've walked through some significant family trials and all these things that even cancer too. That was just kind of another one that wow. we sort of had these tools in our tool belt. Mm. It's okay to not be okay. Can't stay there. Like, what are you feeling? Let yourself feel it. Mm. And then know that God's there with you and you're going to be okay. So good. And, you know, you have some days, like, I just had to be sad or some days I wasn't sad and that was okay. So, I mean, I had to go through all that and I just let myself, if I had a sad day, I was just sad. And I didn't need to change it or justify it. I was just sad. Good. But then the thing is, is when you let that happen, it actually goes quicker than you would think. Right, because fighting it takes so much energy, doesn't oh, it? And when you stuff, it's like stuffing a sleeping bag in the little sleeping bag case. At some point, it gets really hard, and then the bag That's either good. rips or like something goes wrong. That's <laughs> my least favorite sideways. thing in the world is putting a sleeping bag in the sleeping bag case. It's like, it never fits. <laughs> And that's like stuffing your feelings. It just doesn't really work. That is a great picture. (laughs) So good. Interesting. Can you tell me a woman who's helped shape your character? Well, my go-to is probably my mom. And I think the gift she's given me is walking an imperfect life with a perfect God. Mm. And she's really good at saying, I'm sorry. And I forgive you. And she laughs a lot. She cries a lot. She's just... She's there. She's a woman of the word. Like, she is. She's. Whew. It's God above all else, but in the best way. And and sometimes I'm mean, and I'm like, well, you're blah, 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 and you need to do this better. And she'll go, wow, you're so right. And then I'm like, man, I'm so mean. <laughs> like, she'll just take she it. She leans into it. She does. She's really good at changing and listening. Well, Whoa. she's getting a lot better at listening. She. That's, that's been the biggest thing she's worked on, and it's mm. really... She's just very, um, she receives well. Yeah, and that's strength. It is. It's like, and then it's humbling because when I'm being mean or sassy and firing, like, you're blah, 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 and you need to do blah, 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 and like being all demanding and judgmental. <laughs> and then she just sits there and goes, wow, thank you for sharing that. Oh, my goodness. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm a jerk. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, it's just like, wow. It says way more about me day. than what I said about you. That's a good that tool. Is, mm. Yeah. Was there one um, passage of scripture or word that sustained you through this trial or season? Yes. The Saturday before going to the doctor, I opened up my Bible that morning and was in Job. Mm. And like some days I, you know, have a Bible study. Some days I just, just kind of open up and see what happens. And some days it's a plan and some days aren't because, I don't know. That's I just life. think that's yeah. real and it helps me not feel like caged in by this standard i guess yeah. of god because that's stressful and i don't think that's what he designed so i that morning opened up to job and i got really nervous because job has always freaked me out <laughs> as a bi- book in the bible which sounds terrible but 
I've just never understood because it's so chock full of loss and suffering oh. and boom, boom, boom. Yeah. One right after another. I just never like to read it. I would start it and I'm like, oh, I don't want to read it. So I would skip. But this day I opened it and I just really felt like I needed to read it. And Job loses everything. But the craziest thing is, is he didn't do anything. Satan said, can I, like Job believes in you because he has so many things going right for him. Can I take it away? And God said, you, like, you may test him. You know, do, I forget what God specifically said, but something along do as you wish. Sift him as wheat. Yes. But he had to go to God for permission. That is striking, isn't it? So it's like not, God didn't make the bad thing happen, but he allowed it. So then Job lost his home, his sons, his daughters, his family, his cattle, his wife. I mean, he, everything. Mm. And then what, just like, I think, I'm pretty sure I started crying this morning. What he said was, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I sat there for probably 30 minutes with my Bible open. And I was just like, God, I would like to think that I would say that, but I just don't think I would. Mm. I said, I like my life to look how I like. And I am going to just be honest in our time together that this is not what my response would be. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote in my journal... I am about to do a, a talk at a church camp, at Fellowship's church camp. Awesome. And so I pulled out my journal, and I was reading it yesterday. And my what I wrote was, let this be my anthem as through this next season. In my head, next season means job. God was chuckling. Um, <laughs> but I just said, take, I said, you give and you take. Teach me how to bless you no matter what. Mm. And the next day is when I go to the doctor what? Two days after that is when I'm told I have cancer. And in what? that moment, I immediately thought of that, that quiet time. And I said, okay, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so all these people were like, you're the most amazing. How do you believe? And I'm like, no, no, no. This is just <laughs> my chance. Like, I am just, but I know who God is and I know his character. And if he mm. allowed this, it's for some greater purpose. And so it became this. Like, God is good, it became this motto. Because mm. actually, okay, so this was like a jam-packed weekend, if you're catching on. I had, like, turned down a job offer. Oh, this quiet time had happened. I had oh. gone to ice cream with a friend <laughs> that Thursday or Friday night before, you know, of that weekend. Uh-huh. And I'm stressed and anxious, and she just looked at me. This is a good friend. And she said, do you believe that God is good? And I was like, I mean, yes. She goes, well, you're not acting like it. <laughs> and I was kind of mad, Ooh. but then I was, it was like a hint of anger. And then I just calmed down and I said, you're so right. Cause she said, you're anxious, but God is good and he's good to you. And you're stressing as if he's not going to be good to you and he will. And whatever comes next. Mm. So convicting. And so that was, you know, a few days before this Job <sighs> conversation and before getting sick and all these things built up. And so when it happened, I was like, okay, God, you prepared my heart for this in some way. So you're good, and you've given, and you've taken away, and I'm going to choose to bless you, even though it doesn't make sense, and I don't understand what I'm doing, Mm. but I'm choosing it anyways. And I just kind of left it at that, because sometimes faith is, you can believe in something and also hold the life is really messy, and I have a lot of questions, but I'm still going to believe. It's like holding all of that in this balance, Mm -hmm. and I don't, it's not perfect and like in a neat bow, it's just like a... It's like a juggling act, but yeah. I think that's okay. So, 
When yes. did you first know you were in need of grace? Ooh. When I was little, I just, I was a really sassy child. <laughs> and I was very demanding. And my parents, God helped my parents train me <laughs> and teach me how to, to lead in the right way. I'm still very demanding sometimes. Just ask the people in my life and you'll know I'm working on it. It's like a character. I just, I want my way and I'm learning how to hold that open. But do you know about Enneagram? Yes. Are you an eight? Well, I'm a two and an eight. Are you? I'm a two and then one point down, I'm an eight. So I'm... Wow, what an interesting combination. <laughs> it is. It's like, it's hilarious. I've been reading up on this all a lot lately. Fascinating. Because I'm... Like, I love people, and I almost self-sacrifice for people, but when I do get stressed, like, a part of me is a challenger. Uh-huh. Isn't that what it is? Is Eight. it a challenger, mm-hmm. I think? But when I get stressed, I get mm. I go to demanding. Mm. So since I learned that, I'm on myself. I've been working on it. So fascinating. But grace has been this common. I've had to learn how to have grace with myself mm-hmm. and give grace to others. Together, it's a very unique mm-hmm. position because I'm, I want to be a voice, and I'm willing to challenge yeah. I'm learning how to challenge in the right way. But then the helpers also knows how to be present and to serve. And Oh, that's awesome. It's like a very interesting... Yeah, I don't know anyone else with that combination. It's almost like, that's like I liked math and English in high school, and people were like, those don't make Both? sense. Yeah. Like, you're supposed to like math and science, One English and, and history. Yeah. And I was like, no, I like math and English. I'm really good at those two. <laughs> that is a really interesting combination. And so it's kind of like that. It's like, it doesn't really make sense, but... But God has gifted you. (laughs) But somehow that's where I'm at. Well, and I've lately, so I would just say cancer is hard. Yes. Life after cancer is a solid 10 times harder. Really? Yes, because the thing is, is when you're sick, people see the sickness and they Mm -hmm. see the suffering and the weakness and the need. Mm -hmm. But then a Something I'm learning is a lot of people almost think cancer, and I think a lot of just trials are like this chapter, and it's over, Mm. so it must be closed, and you must be moving on. Mm -hmm. But really, cancer is like, it's not a chapter, it's like a whole new book started, Mm. and now that book is my life. It's just, it re, it changed the trajectory of everything, and so I got sick. I wasn't in the middle of a career. I wasn't a mom or a wife, so I mean, I... It, mine happened three weeks before I was choosing where I was going to live and where I was going to work. I mean, I was making choices that were affecting substantially like the rest of my life. That's dramatic. But yes, there were huge choices. Yeah, totally. And I mean, anyone who's graduated college, that's a major transition it from is. college to adulting. Yeah. <laughs> and so mine happened. And so lately, I have just felt so lost because I feel like I'm expected to fly, but mm. my wings are clipped. Ooh. And... I know I have the tools to succeed, but healing does take time. And I actually saw my um, pediatrician yesterday, my doctor, and she said, it's like your hair. Like, you finally have hair again. Your hair is not what it was yet. Mm. And she said, that's how healing is. Like, you're showing signs of life again, but you're not where you were. And she said, Mm -hmm. you can't just, like, have long hair suddenly. You don't blink. Mm -hmm. It takes time. Time to grow back. Yeah. And I said, that's such a good point. Mm -hmm. Um, you have great word pictures. Thank you. I don't know why I like them so much. Oh, they're good. I just feel like they're very sometimes visual. comparing, like, it just gives you something to grasp. Uh-huh. It comes out in your writing, too. Yeah. Thank you. I love writing. It's funny, because so I was fun. writing so much, and then now I'm writing 
so much, but I'm not sharing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to process internally before you can share. Mm -hmm. So stay tuned. Go back to um, the process of post-cancer. Cancer was hard, but after cancer has been 10 times harder. Okay. Thank you. I was getting distracted. My po- where I was, I was like, where was I going with that? <laughs> where I was going with that was I feel like I was on this kind of trajectory and cancer was this interruption that changed the trajectory. Yeah. And I've had my time of grieving and laying in my bed and eating ice cream and pouting because it just feels super um, unfair that it would happen at this time. But I'm really seeing that I think God has let that happen because in a unique way, everything's changing. And Mm. I laughed at lunch with my dad yesterday. I said, I've actually got nothing to lose. Mm. (laughs) I said, I can't go. I can't hit rock bottom. I'm at it. So so any job, any place I live, like I'm already at home. I've already had the life-threatening illness. I have no money. (laughs) Like I'm pretty much, I can only go up. What? And we just laughed, and he was like, "It's kind what of freeing." Great perspective. And he was like, well, I haven't always been there. Don't worry. I've had my yeah. my pity parties. Uh-huh. You have to. You have to be sad and grieve it. You do. And, I mean, I've had my love. Like, I, mm-hmm. it's not all pretty. It's you've it's had, been a process. Yeah. But uh, would you say that after cancer, like, if you were to go back to the feeling question, mm-hmm. does it feel lonely? It does. It's. Okay, saying back to word pictures is something I've been writing and I haven't shared it because it's very sensitive in the way that not many people talk about this. People Uh talk about cancer a lot. Uh Not many people talk about after cancer. Yeah, do tell. And I have been writing because it feels... So I use these phrases. I don't know if they're silly or not, but I liked how they sounded like the land of the living. Mm. The land of the living is most people. You're well, you've got your life, your health all the things in it. I painted that the border around it is like the glass in a, um, uh, the crime TV shows where you can see out or when, no, no, if you're in the, you know, in the jail cell or the questioning room, trying to articulate this. Like the devil pane windows. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. You can not see out, but it's a reflection. Right. And I was like, that's how the land of the living is. You, you only see your life. You can't see out. So then I said, there's this thing called tragedy that visits you and he steals you away and he teleports you to the kingdom of the sick Mm. and when that happens suddenly this illusion of just your world fades and Mm. you see this kingdom of the sick and you're teleported into it and you never knew Mm. that your life was that fragile until this happens and so you teleport across this chasm but you don't really pay much attention because you're focused on this huge transition you fight your fight in the kingdom of the sick, and then all of a sudden, you're just cast out of that kingdom. You don't belong there anymore. You're not sick. You fought your fight. And then all you see is just this chasm, and I'm calling it the canyon of healing because it's in between you and the life that you once had. Mm. And you have to climb down, and it's cold, and it's dark. And I was writing, and I'm trying to even see if it makes sense. This is why I haven't posted it yet, but it's like... When you choose hope in the kingdom of the sick, it's like hope is like that friend that brings you a holograph of your your families and your friends. Mm. And so they can be with you, but they don't see what's going on. They just see the effect it's having on you, and they're really as there as they can be. But then when you go into the canyon of healing, the holograph can't come in it. It just is up above. Mm. And so when they look down, they just kind of see this like white space that you're just walking like 
Why aren't you hurrying up and coming back to us? Because you look great. Yeah, you're... You must be feeling all better. Right, like, and you've got your strength or you, wow. you have a little hair or whatever. And I was painting it. I was like, they called down, like, take the next step. What's whole taking so long? Or here, I have this great suggestion and their heart is in the right place because they, they're making these um, suggestions based off of what they see. Mm. But then when you're down in it, you're like, okay, well, that speck is actually a spike. And I can't just take a step on it. I have to go around it. And I'm tired. And I, it's that same, I, I'm expected to fly, but I have no wings. Mm. I, and the thing about healing is that nobody talks about is you just have to walk through it. Okay. That's how you put your life back together. And you gain your strength and you figure out who you are again. Well, next week, Callan is going to tell us more about the journey she's been on, including a big breakup. I had asked her about her love life, which (laughs) when I asked the question, I thought she was going to answer that question one way, and it went in a totally different direction. I had no idea they broke up because the photos I had seen of her with this romantic interest, um, you know, I'd been scoping her Instagram for a long time, and the pictures look like a fairy tale. But it turns out they had just broken up right before we recorded this interview. Oh, love, I got to tell you, I felt terrible at first for bringing the whole thing up. But the story has such a good ending. What she shares about being boy crazy for years and then how God transformed her thinking and gave her a whole new sense of identity based on who God is, not who she is or who likes her or whatever, it will take your breath away. So you'll for sure want to come back next week to hear that. That's right here on Hey Love, which is soon going to be called The Listening Well. And just as a reminder, if you're already subscribed to this podcast, you're not going to have to do a thing. It will keep showing up in your feed just with the new name. And if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and hit that little subscribe button wherever you're listening, and it's going to come up automatically in your feed. Easy peasy. To read Callan's written work, go subscribe to her blog. It's really, really good. It's called Beautifully Broken for Him. Read the post called The New Me. Also, she has a great Facebook page. Um, I'll link that in the show notes. And a small army of friends have rallied around her. They started this GoFundMe campaign, Callan Can right when she got diagnosed, and it has been helping her family with medical expenses. I remember driving through her neighborhood shortly after I heard that she was home and just diagnosed. I was praying for her on my way to school one day, and there were all these pink signs up and down lining the streets. Callan can. Oh, it made me, the sight of that, uh, the sight of those signs just made me cry. That is real community. She's also got a great Instagram page, at Callan Creations, and another one, at Callan Crydell. She's a really talented artist, as well as writer, so this girl is worthy of a follow, trust me. I'm hoping that she's working on a book. I'm sure she's, I'm sure she's putting together a book. You're going to want to keep your eye on her, because she is destined to do great things for God. Or as my friend reminds me, she is a woman of a great God who will do great things through her. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you leave a review, I love sharing those on the air. Please leave your name and thank you in advance. That is, or these are my big asks for the day. 
Just a couple of ways for you to live out love. Till next time. Bye, love. My thanks to the heroic, handsome, most talented rock star, keyboard player, producer, engineer extraordinaire, and my best friend, Blair Masters, for setting it all to music. And thank you for joining us. Come on back, and we'll talk more about how you can find your happy by living life more connected. Let's try that again. Episode 92, Hey Love Podcast. I'm really glad you tuned in today because I'm going to get it, introduce you to her because I'm going to because you're going to because you're going to get to meet her. I'm your host Carthy Masters because I'm going to get to introduce you to her. What?